Yeah, I'm excited and I'm humbled to be here. And as Shauna said, um, Fort City is part of a larger family of churches called the Alliance Canada. And I get the privilege of working at the Western District of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And we're tasked with supporting, leading, equipping, and inspiring our churches in Alberta and the Northwest Territories in making disciples who are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. Yeah, we don't want to get on my light. Can I grab my water, though? Because I know that that will be... Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. It's good. So, yes, we get to uh, support, lead, equip, and inspire our churches to make disciples who are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. So I come to you from our Western District with a very exuberant hello from our District Superintendent, Brent Trask, and your, co uh, your church development coach, Doug Balser, who I know some of you know. Well, in our office, we often celebrate the people of Fort City Church. Um, I've been in the Alliance for a while, and I have spent time celebrating your resilience, generosity, and passion to extend God's love to your community and country. I think about the wildfires of 2016, the flooding in 2020, and your sponsorship of the Alkernaki family are just three more recent examples of how you have shown the Father's heart to the people of Wood Buffalo Region and below, beyond. And we praise Jesus for you. My key responsibility within our district family is to study, research, pray, and innovate around what does it mean to be faithful and fruitful in making disciples who make disciples. When Pastor Doug emailed me and asked if I'd come and speak on that very topic, I couldn't refuse. So since I agreed to join you, I have been creeping you online. And I've quickly learned that Fort City Church is a place where everyone is welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything can happen. And this really excites me for two reasons. The first, I am imperfect. And I am trusting that God will use our time together today to do the impossible. So I just want to thank you for welcoming me and believing with me for what God is going to do here today. The second reason I'm excited is that your tagline aligns with so much of what I've been learning about being disciple makers of Jesus. And so I see the work of the Spirit in your midst, and I'm excited that I get to play a small part in what Jesus wants to do here. So one of the ways we are united as a larger Alliance family is around our national vision prayer. And that prayer is going to hopefully be on a screen somewhere. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people making disciples everywhere. In our brief time today, I'd like to share with you some of what God is teaching me about becoming Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused disciple-makers in our everyday life, everywhere, wherever we are. Before I jump in, I do want to briefly touch on the words mission-focused people in this prayer. I don't have time to share everything that I wanted to share, so let me say I was so grateful when I watched the series you've been in recently over the last several weeks. If you haven't taken in Awesome Power Of series that concluded two weeks ago, I want to encourage you to check it out, particularly the Awesome Power Of Mission and the Awesome Power Of Work. These sermons have set the stage for what I'm sharing today. So specifically, I want to remind you of Doug's words, that your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to do the work of bringing the healing, life-changing love of Jesus to the people God has you living and working with. 
I want to remind you that God's mission is to expand his loving peace, or what the Bible calls shalom, around the entirety of the earth. Throughout scripture, we see God blesses his people, not so that they can simply be blessed and prosper, but so that we may extend the generosity and love of God to others, so that more and more people can encounter his life-transforming love. So we just agree here that to be a mission-focused people is to be focused on God's mission for his people, and that his mission is to extend that loving shalom, his kingdom, rule, and reign around the earth. Many of you may be familiar with scripture in Matthew 28, which we'll get to in a moment, but it's where Jesus gives his church a more specific assignment within that larger mission. He tells us that our part of expanding his love is by making disciples. For over half my adult life, I was not in paid ministry. I was a professional in the tech industry and then a stay-at-home mom. Throughout those years, I attended church, joined a small group, served regularly in my local church. I loved the church. I grew up spiritually there. Eventually, I joined the staff of my church, and I was excited to give more of my time to the spiritual growth of others. One day, not long into my role as group's pastor, I got caught off guard. I still remember it. It was during a service like this where the preacher taught on the scripture from Matthew 28, 18 to 20, called the Great Commission. Jesus is giving his disciples their final instructions, and he tells them to go make disciples all around the earth. He assures them of his constant presence until the very end of the age. We now know that his presence comes to us through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm sitting there like you, and it hits me. I don't have a hot clue how to make a disciple. If I was making them, I didn't know how to teach others how to do it. And unlike previous moments where I'd had some of that niggling question, this time, I was a pastor. And I thought, if I don't know how to make a disciple, who in this room does? This is a great time to remember. Everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything can happen. In the panic, I sense the Spirit of God speak peace to my mind and my soul. No, I didn't hear an audible voice, but the thoughts that entered my mind sounded something like this. Sarah, I call all followers of Jesus to make disciples. And I am kind and I am able. I do not give assignments that set you up for failure. My kingdom is an upside-down kingdom where ever the least likely are empowered to do great things. Even the least likely. That means the kids that are upstairs right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to participate in making disciples. It's not as complicated as you think. Disciple-making is not reserved for the elite, the educated, and the natural-born leader. Disciple-making is accessible to all. So this initiated an extended season of prayer, research, experimentation. I discovered that I'm not alone in my questions. Many people are asking, what is a disciple? How do I make one? Why isn't the church making disciples like they did in the early church? The questions are numerous. Possibly you've asked some of those questions yourself. Maybe you've never asked the question and this is the first you've ever heard of it. 
Regardless of where you are, you aren't alone. There's an increased awareness, passion, curiosity in the North American church around this question, and I'm excited by what the Spirit of God is doing in the church in this generation. So I discovered that Jesus' way of making disciples is actually clearly modeled throughout the entirety of the Gospels. I once thought it was sprinkled here and there, like a treasure clues needing to be solved and unlocked. But Jesus' entire earthly ministry involved him teaching his disciples how to make disciples within the everyday rhythms of their life. Jesus was, as outlined in the Gospels, revealed how to make disciples. For today, I sense the Spirit directing us to John 15, 1-9, an old familiar passage for many, and for some of you, it's completely new. But I'm excited because I know that God can and will use this passage to bring us greater understanding of how we can grow as disciple-makers. So this passage comes halfway through Jesus' farewell speech. He's in the days leading up to his crucifixion, and he's reviewing the essentials. He spent three years with them, and now it's like, this is what really matters. It's kind of like how parents, when they leave their kids alone for the first time ever, you're really reminding the kids of just the essentials. Like how when I drop my son off at college, I'm giving him the really important pieces. Okay, so John 15, 1 to 9. It's a bit long, but it's good. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do, not, do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your example of making disciples. Your word says that you only did what the Father told you as you were instructed by the Holy Spirit. Everything you did in the stories of your life called the Gospels revealed the heart of God and gave us clear glimpses into the life we can aspire to live through the empowerment of your Spirit as we remain in you. Holy Spirit, please open our hearts and minds. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we may be, be more fully understand what it is to live as your faithful and fruitful disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. So, that re so remembering that even the least likely are empowered to do great things, and that disciple-making is accessible to all, what are some basic disciple-making principles from the vine? One, being a disciple is a journey of growth. Oftentimes when we look at disciple-making, we ask the question, am I a disciple yet? 
or are they a disciple? It's a very binary question. In this image, Jesus uses a vine, a living thing that grows and changes. Well, the young vine at the beginning isn't any less viney than a mature vine. It won't have fruit. All people who have come under the lordship of King Jesus are disciples. The question is, am I a maturing disciple? Disciple-making is a journey that isn't complete until we stand face-to-face with Jesus. But we do have a choice. Verse 7a says, But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. But if we get to participate in intentionally connecting with Jesus. A maturity isn't automatic. There's a part we play. Our part is to intentionally stay connected to Jesus, the true vine, and respond in obedience. The second discipleship lesson from the vine is it all flows from Jesus. We see from this passage that the vine produces the branches with, or provides the branches with what they need in order to produce fruit. In this image, we would think it absurd if the vine restricted nutrients to the branches until the branches proved themselves by producing fruit. They don't earn the worthiness of the water and the nutrients. So like a vine and branches, the flow of everything we need originates with Christ, the true vine. To remain in the vine is to receive from Christ. So what are some of those nutrients that we must access to bear fruit? The first is love. Jesus tells us this passage that we must first remain in his love. Apart from his love, we can't do anything. Now, for some of you, accessing the love of a good, perfect God is a new concept. If you've never received the love of Jesus, I want to let you know that God has a passionate agenda to communicate that to you. Whether you feel unworthy, distant, or maybe even indifferent, God wants you to know he loves you. For many of you, you know in your minds that God loves you, and you have many examples, maybe a multitude of examples, of his love breaking through in your life. You don't doubt it. But reflect for me, with me for a moment. When you think about serving God, when you think about working for God, is your first posture one of receiving love or going and doing? This scripture makes it very clear. Before you can do anything of worth in God's kingdom, you must know you get to remain in his love. That is our starting point. Not our skills, not our education, our life experiences, or our talents but love. In God's kingdom, even the least likely are empowered to do great things. Disciple-making is accessible to all because God's love is accessible to all. The second thing we receive from the vine is identity. The word branch in Greek means of the vine. A branch gets its identity, its characteristics, from the vine. Not the other way around. Christ is at the center. Christ is the source of everything we need. Therefore, when we remain connected to the true vine, Christ, we receive our identity. We read that branches don't produce fruit, are cut out and put in the fire. Okay, there are two things I want to mention about this. The first is that vine wood, unlike oak or maple or many other woods, 
has zero purpose other than producing fruit. So while my hardwood floors at home are made from ash and my vaulting ceiling is beautifully lined with cedar, the only purpose for branches on the vine are to produce fruit. If they aren't doing that, they actually had to burn them. They just took up too much space. Jesus is telling us that our purpose as branches is to bear fruit. So I don't want to get caught up on being burnt in the fire. If you aren't fruitful, that's probably a whole other sermon. But what I see from this image that relates to disciple making is that getting cut out isn't good because it means we aren't fulfilling the purposes and the plans that God has for us. So let's choose to remain. Throughout the Old Testament, the vine is used to represent two key things. The first is the nation of Israel. When Jesus says that his, he is the true vine, he's saying he's the head of the family of God. To be of the vine is to be a part of a family of God. Therefore, we receive the identity of child of God from Jesus. Jesus offers that identity to all of us if we choose to accept it. The second thing the vine represents in the Old Testament is royalty. This means we are not only part of a family, but a royal family. Jesus is telling us that we belong to his kingdom. With his kingdom purposes, we are co-heirs with Jesus. We are a part of God's family of spirit-empowered representatives of his kingdom. It's from that place where we make disciples. Our God, who is king, has a mission to bring shalom, the goodness of God throughout the world, and our part is to bear the fruit of disciple-making. So why is this key? Because disciple-making is not something we do or something that some of us do. Disciple-making is who we are. Through Christ, we are children of God, our Father God is King, and we get to participate in bringing his kingdom goodness and love wherever we go. Now, this could feel pretty heavy, but remember, it all flows from Jesus. Our job is to remain in his love and his words, in God's kingdom, even the least likely are empowered to do great things. And disciple-making is accessible to all. Because the identity of child of God is available to all who accept the truth of the true vine, Jesus. The third nutrient we receive from the vine is the words. In this specific scripture, the Greek word for words is rhema. Rhema means that which is spoken declaration, a promise, mandate, or direction. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. So remaining in God's word and God's word remaining in us means more than reading or hearing and meditating on scripture. It certainly starts with knowing the Bible, but it means operating in agreement with the truths of God, aligning our lives in agreement with the promises and the direction of Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers us to understand and obey God's words. We heard Nathan talk about, or sorry, Lucas, talk about obedience, aligning with the promptings of the Holy Spirit and buying Bibles. It's here that I find it important to pause and point out that all branches on a vine connect into the vine together. In my own personal journey, believing and obeying the truths that have been where I've needed the most support from other believers. So while we as individual branches get our sustenance and our nutrients from the vine, we are together in the vine. 
To participate in disciple-making is to join in relational proximity with others and point one another to the promises of God. So you may be sitting there and thinking, that's great. Receive his love, receive my identity, and receive his word. But what does that really look like? Well, for me, this has been a journey of discovery with Jesus. A significant discovery has been shifting my posture before God. Here at Fort City, everyone is welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything can happen. This isn't just true of Fort City, this is true of God and his family. When you approach scripture, prayer, community, does your soul approach God in a posture of being welcomed? Do you enter these moments with the anticipation that you'll receive God's love? How about your identity? Do you know without a doubt that you are his child whom he glorifies himself through? And if you don't, do you ask him to increase your confidence in his love and in identity? To remain in him is to be constantly drenched in these truths and to know that he desires to give you these things. Recently, I've come to appreciate that to remain in God is to bring the fullness of my authentic self into God's presence with the confidence of his love, the identity he's given me, and the promise he declares. Practically speaking, regularly engaging spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading in the context of a community who are also seeking to remain in him and his love together will have a significant impact on your personal growth. So to recap, so far the disciple-making lessons from the vine have shown us that disciple-making is a journey of growth and it all flows from Jesus. And finally, multiplication glorifies God. We see from the passage that the gardener, who Jesus explains is the father, cuts out unproductive wood as well as pruning fruitful wood. The sole intent of the gardener's work is to increase the fruit yield. As I mentioned at the beginning, young vines are not expected to bear fruit immediately. The journey of being a disciple is a journey of maturation. A skilled gardener will cut young vine branches back for several years before they allow the vine to bear any fruit. But there is a season of intentional fruitlessness which ensures the branches are mature before the fruit is brought forth. However, eventually, after all of this, it is with the intent of an increased yield in the future. The gardener is focusing on fruit. As Christians, the Lord intentionally prunes us. Our character and resilience grow. Eventually, we will see fruit. The fruit that's produced as we remain in Christ is the fruit of multiplication and reproduction. Think about it, each grape on a vine holds within it the potential of an entirely new vine, capable of bringing forth exponentially more fruit. It's here how we see abiding results in multiplication and expansion of God's goodness and glory around the earth, as more and more people become branches that remain in God's love and bring forth more fruit. Verse eight says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God is glorified by fruit, and we re actually reveal that we are his mature disciples by the fruit he produces through us. The mark of a mature disciple is the evidence of disciple-making. A mature disciple remains connected to Christ, the source of love, identity, and truth, so that in the Father's timing, God uses them to bring forth more disciples who are then themselves remain in the vine, pruned by the gardener, and bear the fruit of maturity. 
Jesus says all are welcome to remain in him. None of us is expected to be perfect. And yet when we stay connected to him, God empowers the least likely in ways where anything really can happen. Now we're going to watch a short video clip from a radical disciple-making movement in Iran. Iran, the fastest growing church in the world. This is part of a two-part documentary series called Sheep Among Wolves, and it can be found on YouTube or the Frontier Alliance International app. We catch up with the creators, and they're explaining their first encounter with some of the leaders in this movement. First, I want to mention that this video holds more weight for me today than it did when I picked it because of the recent war that has broken out in the Ukraine. Second, as we watch, please take note of how God empowers the least likely. Let's watch this. So I remember a few years ago when Dalton and I were going to meet all of the underground Iranian leaders for the first time. And beforehand, we had this sort of idea in our mind, you know, these guys are the special forces, they're the cutting edge, they're leading the fastest growing church network in the world and one of the most difficult, restricted uh, nations in the earth under intense persecution. And then we met them. is the glory of the Iranian church, the power of God being displayed among the broken, the dejected, and the depraved. It's here in the brutality and the mess of human dysfunction that we see his wonder. Jesus can use anyone, any place, at any time, and he is not afraid of the mess. They were just the most beautiful, glowing, even if I could say it, goofballs, you know? They're just fun, beautiful people. We instantly fell in love with them. What he's doing, these amazing things, is he's using regular, everyday people, just like you and me. And this is where Dalton look, looked at me and he said, it's just like Sheep Among Wolves. And he said, that's the name of the film. It's going to be Sheep Among Wolves. God has a mission. Since creation, he put Adam and Eve in the garden and he assigned them the work of expanding the goodness of God around the earth. Before the fall, before our relationship with God was severed, we had an assignment to expand God's shalom around the earth. We have the same assignment today through making disciples. The people we just watched in this video have aligned the entirety of their lives with God's mission for them, to make disciples of all nations. I'm convicted, Fort City. We as Canadians have a lot of passions a lot of priorities. And while there are a lot of wonderful things we can enjoy on this earth, how many of us, if we truly are honest, place the mission of God and our disciple-making part in it at the top of our list? How many of us see this 
as our God-given priority? Are we more passionate about God's fruit-bearing purposes for us than we are about our comforts, our preferences, our rights? We don't need to give up our hobbies and passions entirely unless the Spirit of God is clearly telling us to do that. But we do get to surrender them to him so that they become the very places that we make disciples. Before we pray, I want to read a short prayer request coming out of, the, out of Ukraine that was published in an article called, As Russia Invades Ukraine, Pastors Stay to Serve, Pray, and Resist. It's published in Christianity Today this past week. Valentin Sinai, president of Travisky Christian Institute, says, Our prayer today is that God's will spreads on earth as it is in heaven. I encourage my staff and other Christian leaders that the mission stays the same, even if we have to change geography. And Vladim Kolchenko of the Legacy Ukraine says, Please pray for disciple-making in the country safety for our people, and generosity in the midst of war. So this Ukrainian leader sees that the expansion of the kingdom of heaven and the goodness of God and the shalom comes through making disciples. So I'm going to lead you through some listening prayer. I'm going to come before God and we're going to ask him, and I'm going to pause in some moments. We're just going to ask him if there's anything in our thinking that doesn't align with the promises that he has for us. And what obedience, just a small step of obedience would look like for us in the next coming hours. And then we're going to ask him to just share a face or a name of who we can just tell. Just tell one person what God has spoken to us today. Let's pray. God, we come before you with gratitude. We praise you that we can confidently remain in your love. Father, right now I ask that you pour out an increased awareness of your love upon each one of us in this place. We thank you for your kind, intentional, and yes, sometimes painful pruning. We long to be faithful and fruitful people. Prune us that we may bear an abundance of your kingdom fruit so that your earth is filled with your perfect love and peace. Please strengthen our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Though the enemy seeks to steal their influence, we ask that their fruit would increase with supernatural abundance. Show them mercy, kindness, strengthen them. Lord, give God for us. We invite you right now to place your finger on any thinking or behavior that is out of alignment with your truth. And in that, I praise you for your love and kindness, Lord God. Your word says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Show us what it looks like to choose obedience to your promises in this very moment. Give us one simple, actionable step, remembering that disciple-making is accessible to all. It can be simple, actionable step to align our lives more fully with this truth in the coming hours. And give us the face or the name of one person that we can just testify to about this. We can just share what you've shown us and how you've asked us to respond. We thank you that you bear an abundance of fruit through us 
through your kids. You love to bear fruit through your kids. We ask that you glorify yourself through each one of us here today. And we pray all of this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.